Yeah, just a quick update on Serve Emmett Day. Well, actually, um, the kids are going off to Big City. So if your kids are you ready to go, um, I'll send you off that direction. Um, just an update on Emmett, Serve Emmett Day. We do have a deadline coming up tomorrow with the projects. If you have questions about what a good project is, just let me know. We have about five or six projects already in. Um, we're looking for maybe 12 or 15, so we have quite a few more that we could throw in there in the mix as well. So just let me know if you have any questions with that. I want to just kind of update on technology pieces that are available. I don't know, um, just like to throw these out every once in a while so that you are, are aware. Um, I don't know how many of you, if you have smartphones, you use the Uversion Bible app. Um, it's kind of a handy app to read all sorts of different translations of the Bible, and there's some um, devotionals and all sorts of things in that app. But we are actually in that app. Um, if you go to that app, if you have it on your phone, you can actually click on events and go to um, Emmett Nazarene Church, and you can follow along with the scriptures um, from the sermon on the app. You can also get to that same place if you go on our, on our app, the app that we get through Church Center, um, and just click on Version Scripture or go to the website and click on Version Scripture. Um, that's in a number of different places. So if you have any questions about that, let me know, let James know, and we can help you get to that place. It's just kind of a, a nice um, thing. People have said that it's just nice to have all the Scriptures together in one place. You can kind of follow along um, when you're looking at the sermon and working through that. Um, we are in our third week of our sermon series called Proclaim, the Gospel Has Come, um, focusing on the proclamations made by the early church about Jesus. Um, a proclamation, as we've been discussing, is a public announcement from a person who is an authority on the topic, um, dealing, with the dealing with a matter of great importance um, to help the group kind of deal with whatever question is at hand. Uh, the proclamations that we've been looking at are actually from the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is, is, the, is kind of a history book. It, it details um, the followers of Jesus as they are moving on past Jesus rising from the dead and Jesus uh, ascending into heaven and the Holy Spirit coming and um, being our helper as believers uh, so just really a, a practical book. If you've never read through the book of Acts, it's just a super practical book of what life was like now that all these things had happened. Um, so today, um, we're moving on to our third proclamation. The, the two proclamations so far, both by Peter. The first was in Acts 2, and it really focused in on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and just how central those are to the follower of Christ. Um, the second was in Acts 3 and 4 that we looked at last week, and it focused on the power of Jesus, his ability through the Spirit to even, even now, this day, save and heal, and even through his followers. It was a great story last week. I love that story. Um, today, we're jumping a little bit ahead into Acts chapter 10, and if you want to turn with me there, you're sure, surely invited. Um, today, we're going to look at an issue in humanity where we just tend to divide into groups. And then once we're divided into groups, we tend to look down on the other people, us versus them. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that in life, but we sure seem to have a lot of it 
in our world right now. Uh, just thinking through this a little bit, you can kind of take those and emit. That's one group, right? And then the other group, usually when we're talking about groups, is those people on the other side of the hill, right? That's another group. And which one do we look down on? Yeah. How about Huskies versus um, the Bishop Kelly Knights? Anyone? Um, how about those from Idaho and those from... You guys are getting the idea about this, right? Americans, Russians, those who are moral and decent and uh, those who aren't. Not that that ever happens to us where we divide up into groups and start you know, ridiculing the other side, but, but it does happen, right? Now, the story that we're going to look at in Acts 10 is actually the longest single narrative in the book of Acts. Uh, we're not going to cover the whole thing, but, but the length of this story in the book suggests that this story is, is really important to us and the early church. Um, in fact, it's one of the most important stories in the Bible personally to us, to us Gentiles, <laughs> It's here where we actually find the story of Cornelius, the Roman centurion. So just to dig into the context for just a moment here, um, if you remember back in the first proclamation in Acts 2, Peter quotes the prophet Joel from the Old Testament. Um, starting in Acts 2, verse 17, he's, he said, In the last days, quoting Joel, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. And the emphasis really being all people, right? All people. Before Acts 2, the Spirit of God was active. We even see the Spirit involved in creation, right? But the Spirit was really mostly involved in the major characters that we see in the Bible, Moses and David and, and, and those big names that we know. Um, and it was usually just for a time period, right? Not the whole time. But after Acts 2, after Jesus sends the Spirit, a new age of the Spirit begins. The Spirit starts working in all of Jesus' followers, not just the big names. That's the first shift. Today we're going to look at the second shift. And that's before Acts 10. The Spirit was active only in the Jews who were Christian. Peter, as we discovered today, didn't even have an inkling that the all in all people actually meant all people. <laughs> for the Jews for this, from this time period, there was only two categories of people. There were Jews and then everybody else. Jews and non-Jews. And those who were not Jews were called what? Gentiles, right? And if it sounds like they separated themselves kind of like we did back in school with the cool kids over here and then the kind of nerdy group that everyone kind of picked on, that is what they were doing, right? Jesus con Jews considered non-Jews really on the lowest level. In fact, they named, they had a nickname for non-Jews, for Gentiles. They called them dogs. To the Jews, anyone who wasn't a Jew was unclean, <laughs> was disgusting creatures. And that's us in the story. Just want to make sure that you get that in this story, right? So Acts chapter 10 at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. 
He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, what do we know about this man so far? Well, we know that he was a really good guy, right? He was devoted to God, and it wasn't just the lowercase g, right? It was the God of Israel. He was God-fearing. And it also says that he gave to those in need and that he prayed to God. And this verb prayer, prayed in, in the Greek, it's actually a continuous act. So he prayed constantly. He prayed always to God. Cornelius was this truly godly man, unusually so. And it says that his whole family was. Why was this description important in the story? Because this was the kind of description that is usually reserved for a Jew. And he wasn't one, right? He was a lowly Gentile. Cornelius was a a centurion, a Roman military officer, and he lived in Caesarea, which was a fully Gentile city. I mean, there's rarely any Jews that would actually go into Caesarea because the Jews didn't like that place. They thought it was disgusting. It even was the place where the temple to Caesar resided. Verse 3, one day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered him, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. One thing I want you to notice in the story is just how God receives this man's prayers, how he receives this man's gifts to the poor. I mean, do you see it in the story? They are highly regarded by God. When this man prays to God, when this man gives gifts to the poor, it's, it's regarded as worship to God. Isn't that kind of interesting to look at? The angel then instructs the Gentile Cornelius much as if he was a devout Jew. What does he tell this guy to do? He tells him to summon Simon called Peter. This is, this is the Peter. This is the leader of the church at this point. This is the leader of the church. And he wants him to come to Caesarea and to his house. Verse 7, when the angels who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, there's a, that descriptor again, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So simple question here. Who is causing this interaction between Cornelius and Peter? Who's causing this to happen? God is, right? God's doing this. Verse 9, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Now, when you see this list of creatures, this is actually 
kind of a parallel list of many of the uh, lists in Scripture that represent all of God's animals that he's created, right? All of them, the clean and the unclean animals. We all know that the Jewish people have this dietary law system, right, of what they can eat, what they can't eat, the kosher laws. And these were very important laws to the people who called themselves Jews, right? They were only allowed to eat certain kinds of meat, certain types of animal, right? But verse 13, then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. What is Peter saying here? No way, Jose. Actually, more accurately, no way, Jesus, right? By no means, never. It's never going to happen. I mean, this is an absolute refu refusal, right, by Peter? Always cracks me up when, when you see in sentences and statements with, where they include Surely not in Lord, right? I mean, that's just kind of confusing a little bit, right? No in Lord in the same sentence doesn't seem to make sense, but it happens, doesn't it? You ever been in a situation where you thought that you knew more than God? Yeah, we've all been there, right? Verse 15, the voice spoke to him in a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. You notice any trends in, Jesus, in Peter's life? He tends to have some threes in there, right? Lots of three times in his life. But another simple question. Who seems to be pushing Peter's boundaries on his belief system? Who is it? It's God, right? <laughs> And this wouldn't have been something easy for Peter to navigate. This was, this, these kosher laws, they were considered to be foundational in the Jewish belief. Their whole society was built on it, right? He would have been eating that way since he was a kid. Maybe a little bit more complicated question. What exactly is the issue that God is pushing on? What is he pushing on? Yeah, obedience. Maybe thinking through what Peter considers to be clean and unclean. And who gets to decide that? Because Peter seems to know, he assumes he knows, that this is the way it is. This is clean, this is unclean, the list is right there. And so it's almost a shock treatment of humility, isn't it, for Peter? where, you know what, you don't know what's going on. You think you know what's going on, but God is actually the one in charge. <laughs> and it's this shock treatment of humility that leads Peter into this next part of the story. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate, they called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, 
for I have sent them. Now, who's directing this again? God, right? And Peter doesn't hesitate. I mean, do you think he's actually starting to get this idea in his head that God may be up to something here? What has he got up his sleeve here, here, right? Verse 21, Peter went down, said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. It's a pretty strong statement, right? A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. <laughs> I'd be a little intimidated if I was Peter when that, was, that statement came in, right? What I have to say. <laughs> then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them. Some of the believers from Joppa went along. And just to kind of give you an idea, it's both cities that they were traveling along is really along the coastline of the Mediterranean, and it's about 30 miles. It's a pretty good walk. Um, verse 24, the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, Peter said. I'm only a man myself. Do you hear what's going on in Peter's life? Humility, right? He needs that. That's good, Peter. <laughs> Verse 27, while wa- talking with him, Peter went inside, found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. <laughs> that is the law, right? He was breaking the law just being there, Right? But then he goes on to say, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Interesting. Quick learner, Peter, right? Good job. Peter continues, may I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. (laughs) Again, no pressure there, Peter. (laughs) What has God commanded you to say? And here comes our proclamation for today. Verse 34, and Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. That was part of the message, right? Peter continues really with the rest of the gospel. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. I mean, They all know this, right? He's even including them 
in the conversation. And then he continues, they, they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And that is part of the message of what he just heard, right? That it's God who gets to decide who is clean and unclean. God is the judge. Jesus is the judge, not us. Verse 43, all the prophets and testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Good news, right? Now, one of the first things that kind of stands out to me in Peter's proclamation is that the substance from all three proclamations that we've read so far is always the same. Whether he's proclaiming the faith to a Jewish leader, the high priest himself, like last week, or to a Gentile Roman centurion, the, the substance of the message of the gospel remains essentially unchanged. That, that Jesus was this man of great power who was crucified. He rose from the dead, and now there is forgiveness in his name. This doesn't mean that the message is a carbon copy. We don't read through this and think, well, they, he wrote it down word for word, and he memorized it and said it exactly the same way. For example, Peter doesn't spend a, lo a long time talking about the prophets of the Old Testament in this telling of the gospel as he did in Acts 2. Because the audience was different, right? He didn't need to talk about the Old Testament prophets to, to the Gentiles. They wouldn't have even known what that was. So there isn't just one way to share the gospel, but the good news shared should be the same good news regardless of the people with whom we are talking to, right? Good news for all people. And in this particular proclamation, even though the core message is, is the same, there is a new emphasis. There's something that is emphasized in this gospel that's different. Back in verse 34, God does not show favoritism. What does that mean to us? God does not show favoritism. Well, Think about it with me for Cornelius. He was a Gentile, which means that at this point in history, he was not part of the people of God. He wasn't. He wasn't included in God's covenant with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't often think through this all the way, I don't think. I think sometimes we kind of transport ourselves past all of this. But at this point in history, it's still God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's still Jew, Jews who are Christians, right? At that time, Jewish ceremonial laws governed Jewish thought and practice on what it was clean and unclean, from food to clothes to people. These laws had a purpose. They were trying to help um, the people of God to visually and physically understand that God is unique. He's, he's not common. He's holy, and to be in his presence meant doing everything possible to avoid being contaminated by sin. And so following all of these laws, right, 
And yet within these laws, Gentiles, us, <laughs> we were considered no different in our unclean state than, say, a dog or a pig. But Peter realizes in this divine encounter, this conversation with Cornelius, that this was no longer the case. And that's huge for us. Huge. I can't emphasize how huge this is. Remember the words of the angel in verse 15? What God has made clean, not no one declare to be unclean. That's the message. If God declares us clean, no matter who we are, we can be clean. In fact, listen to the last part of this passage. God still leading through the Holy Spirit. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles who were there, right? The circumcised believers, a.k.a. the Jewish Christians, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and other languages and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. <laughs> what is baptism? It's joining the people of God. Becoming a part of the people of God, Gentiles, us. I mean, do you see the shift? The cross of Christ is the great leveler. Despite your background, despite whatever sin that you've committed, despite whatever your successes that you claim, your failures that you claim, despite your ethnicity, despite your nationality, your gender, your age, Whatever distinguishes, distinguishes us as human beings, we all need the same thing. We need the cross of Christ. We need a Savior. Whether we are Jewish or Gentile, we, when we need Jesus. And when you come to the cross of Christ, when you come to Jesus, you're made new. Does that mean that we all become Jews? No. Does that mean that we all become Gentiles? No. We actually all become something new, a new creation in Christ. Peter proclaimed the gospel on that day and realized the truth of an impartial God, a God who is not just for the Jews, a God who is for all people. Amen? And Paul would later celebrate that same truth when he declared in Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All those titles, all those categories that divide us, they mean absolutely nothing because we are all one in Christ. So how do we apply this truth in our lives? We don't really struggle with this Jews versus Gentile categories, right? But we certainly have our doomed parts of the human race, don't we? Those who we would consider maybe unsalvageable, even for Jesus. Can you think of some of those people? 
In the same way, the gospel is a message for all people. All people. When we're saying all, we're saying all, right? Even those people, whoever those people are, <laughs> we don't get to discard part of the good news in certain times, in certain places, or when we're talking to certain people, right? The same gospel is to be shared with all people. And maybe the most difficult part for us <laughs> is that once those people have received that same gospel, once they find Christ, they become one of us. <laughs> they become one of us. They too become a new creation in Christ. So allow me to ask you maybe some difficult <laughs> application questions. What people group within our specific community of Emmett? Does the church consciously or unconsciously treat as unclean? Whom does the church avoid? And what about individual members? I mean, who do we avoid? Are there people in our community that we just don't like hanging out with <laughs> that Jesus actually would want us to be hanging out with? What types of people do we stay away from for whatever reason? I mean, do we think Christians should have nothing to do with whatever people? How does that align with the proclamation of Peter this morning? I love a story that I just read recently in a magazine, Asia News. Um, and in, in the article that are describing this surprising trend um, that, that they have found the last two decades in what is called the Sakrit district of Nepal. Now, within the Indian culture, um, most of you probably understand that they have this strong caste system. They, they actually have a system that puts one group as more important than everybody else. It's written into their constitution even, that if you're born into this family, if you're born into this group, you are better than everyone else. And yet something unbelievable happened in that area. <laughs> Some of the Indians of the upper class became Christians. And what did they do? <laughs> they started welcoming the untouchable Dalit caste into their group, the lowest of the low. They accepted them as their own. You know what the response was? They converted in mass to Christianity. The article actually states that, that in that region of Nepal, approximately 50,000 Dalits have converted from Hinduism to Christianity. All because of love. Being willing to reach out to someone. <laughs> I mean, praise the Lord. What can God do through a church who's willing to love no matter who they are? As Peter demonstrated today, the Christian faith is open to people from all walks of life. Paul goes on to say in Romans 12, For, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, 
But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. It's your faith in God that has you where you are, not because you're <laughs> something special. You're something special because you have Jesus, right? For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, though diverse we are, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. What a great proclamation. What an important passage of Scripture, right? Well, in our Connect class, I'm at NAS 101, um, we talk about, we've talked about this recently, the last month or so, how diverse we are as a church. We just look around the room. We just have a church family who comes from all sorts of ages and uh, ethnicities even and spiritual upbringings or lack thereof. And yet God has used our diversity, how we are different, and the unity in the spirit to accomplish what, what he wants this church to do. It is the diversity that actually makes us stronger. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And I think this is a perfect segue to actually introduce some new members to the church. We had another Connect class a few weeks ago. And really, the Bible has a lot to say about the body of Christ. We talk through this each time we introduce new members. And, and I really think this is worth repeating again and again and again because we need to be reminded that we need each other, right? So we just read Romans 12, a passage that talks a lot about the body of Christ. Another one is, is 1 Corinthians 12 that talks about the body. And let me just touch on a few verses that I usually share at this point in time um, when I'm introducing new members. Verse 7 says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, is given for the common good. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So let me just kind of take those three verses and kind of go in reverse order and talk about them. First of all, verse 27 tells us, as we just read, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Now, the question I like to ask here is, do we get a choice if we are or we aren't a part of the body of Christ? Is that a choice that we make? Well, not according to this. The truth is that if we are in Christ, we're in his body. Period. <laughs> All of us. So the question is actually, are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, then you are part of his body. You might not be recognizing that you're part of his body, but you are a part of his body, right? The second verse, who places the parts in the body? Verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God places them in the body just as he wants them to be. So if, if we see people joining the body, what does that mean? It means that God's at work in this place, right? God is actually working in people's lives and drawing them into this place for a particular reason. 
And we thank God for placing people in God's body, right? Our church family. I thank God that I have a church family, you as my church family. And that's why we celebrate membership. God wants us to choose his ways. He wants, to recognize, wants us to recognize what he's doing. And if he's placing us in a group, he wants us to recognize that. And so we have this ritual to remind those who have already recognized that God has placed you to, uh, as part of this body. Um, reminder, you are a part of this body for a reason, right? And then for those that maybe for the first time are recognizing that this is what God is doing, God is placing you in this body. Third verse, verse 7. Why does God add parts to the body? Why does God give people gifts and abilities to the body? Now to each one of the mani- one of the mani- ugh, I can't read. <laughs> now to each one, manifestation of the spirit, the gift is given for the common good. So why are we here? To each one of us, God has given a gift to share with all the rest of us, right? For the common good. We are here to serve each other. And we have a few of us that have taken recently, as I said, the Connect class, and um, where we learn about our church, kind of where it's headed, and, and how to connect with Christ, how to connect with the church body. Thinking about membership, membership is being a part of that body, right? Membership is, is a covenant relationship. Sometimes we think that membership is, is joining an organization or being committed to the pastor or being committed to, to, to the denomination maybe. But really, membership is a covenant relationship where we are committed to each other, committed to the others in this room. This is not a commitment to the pastor or the leaders of the church. It's a covenant between you and your church family to support, to encourage, and to pray for each other. It's all about relationships, right? And within that is also a commitment to some of the ideals that we talk about when we talk about the church, what the church should be about. Being a part of a church on mission, being a part of a church that works together to accomplish what God has for us being a part of the global church, being a part of the local church of Emmett. And, and lastly, in our church, being a member also gives us a vote, a voice when we vote. In our church, there are two requires, requirements for membership. The first part is this mem- membership covenant that we have together, right? Which all, all of those who are coming to join the church today have agreed to do, to be a part of. And there's a second part to this as well. You, in order to be a part of the body of Christ, you've got to confess your faith in Christ. It's hard to be a part of the body of Christ if you're not in Christ, right? Becoming that new creation that we were just talking about. So I'd just like to invite to the front those who recently took the Connect class and um, are planning to join the church this morning. You guys come down this way. I'd like to close our service this morning by welcoming our new parts of the body. (laughs) As they come super excited and ready to stand up front with me, right? 
Now, this is some of them. We are actually missing a, a few that we'll introduce later. Um, let me just kind of stand away from you guys so I can talk to you. Um, but I want to ask you this morning, do you affirm before this congregation that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? So say, I, I do. Very good. Um, and as we just read in Scripture, do you believe that God is adding you to the body of Christ? Do. Um, God is adding you to our church for a reason. He wants to do something through your life to help us all become all that he wants us to become as a body, right? All of us together. Um, will you allow God to work through you to make this body more complete? If so, say, I will. Will you commit to supporting, encouraging, and praying for the members of the body? Very good. Will you open up your life to allow this body to minister to you and help you grow into all that God wants you to be? Very good. Congregation, you have a part to play in this, as always. Would you stand with me? Church, from the testimony that you have heard this morning, do you believe God is adding these people to your body? If so, say we do. Would you allow God to work in your life through them? If so, say we will. Will you commit to supporting and encouraging and praying for these members of the body, but also all of the members of the body? If so, say we will. God has added these believers to our body because he knew that we needed them. And they need us. So let's take this covenant seriously, shall we? It gives me great pleasure on behalf of the church to welcome these before you into membership. You can give them a hand. Nice job. And I have some cards for you guys. So Alexa Heidemann, actually I'm giving you two cards. There you go. And Emily, and Erica, welcome. And Riley, and Steele was down here. And then Cindy Fick. Thank you very much. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God, we're so thankful that you are working in this place. And this church family, we're excited about um, the love that you have for us, but the love that you have for all people, that we have an opportunity to share your good, good news, your gospel with those around us and, and help them to find you, help them to find hope. Lord, help us to think through this idea that we are in this together, that we need each other. We need to be encouraging and supporting and praying for each other. All of us need each other. Would you help us to choose to love? Would you help us to choose to engage in relationship with each other? Just help us to be the people of God that you desire us to be. And we will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The benediction passage this morning, John 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So people of God, you are a blessed people. 
aren't you? You are a Gentile people who have been included in the grace and mercy of God, the love of God for us, a new creation. So let us also be the good news people. Amen? Let's freely share the good news to all that we encounter. You are sent.